Happy Easter. Well, welcome. My name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to thank you so much for sharing your Easter Sunday with us. Today is a very significant day if you were a Christian because it is the day that Christians all over the world celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Christianity is the only faith that ties its origins back to a particular moment in history. Out of all the world religions, Christianity is the only one that can trace its origins back to an event in history. What this day represents is that over 2,000 years ago, a handful of people who were just absolutely heartbroken go to a tomb to see their friend whom just a couple days prior they had seen crucified on a cross. But when they get to the tomb, they're given the report that he's no longer there. He's no longer in the tomb. And that little bit of news changed everything. And see, it wasn't just the fact that he was no longer in the tomb. It wasn't just the, the fact of where he wasn't. It was where he was because he was appearing everywhere. Um, he appears to a woman named Mary, and he says, Mary, you no longer have to live in fear. In fact, you don't even have to fear death anymore. He appears to a man named Peter, and he says, Peter, you no longer have to live with the guilt and shame of the things that you've done. I know you've blown it. I know you, you denied me, but you don't have to live with that guilt and shame anymore because I took care of all of that. He appears to a man named Thomas who's really struggling with his doubt, and he says, Thomas, you don't have to doubt anymore. You can put your faith in me because I will never leave you or forsake you. And he shows up to the disciples as a group, and he says, hey, guys, you have a new reason to live, for I have given you hope. I'm giving you hope that gives you a whole new reason to live as well as a reason to die. And and this hope transcends all of life and all of death. And so it wasn't just about the fact that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. It was about the fact that he was everywhere else. And not just there and not just then, we believe that his presence is with us right here and right now. Because Jesus made the promise. He said, whenever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. And because he's here with us right now, he can give you hope. He can extend grace to you. And he can give you a purpose for your life like you've never had before. So I want us to take a look at the story of the resurrection in John chapter 20. And what I'm going to do is just read through um, this story and make some observations as we go along. If you're new to Life Journey, there's an outline in the bulletin. You can follow along um, if you like or not if you don't want to. Um, you can play games on it if you want. Or you can be like my daughter who tries to fill out the, um, the blanks before I get to him. <laughs> but she always has scratch marks. <laughs> um, all right, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. 
They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. I love the way the the voice translation renders that last verse. It says, The other disciple who had arrived along with Peter also entered the tomb, and based on what he saw, faith began to well up inside of him. That's been my prayer for all of you this morning. That somehow in these next few moments, that God would do what only God can do and cause faith to well up inside of you. And that he would even cause hope to well up inside of you as well. And I don't know what's going on in your life, if something has robbed you of your faith or if something has robbed you of hope. I don't know what difficulties you're going through, but I bet it's painful and I bet you didn't even see it coming. But whatever's going on with you, I'm praying that faith and hope would well up inside of you this morning. And the reason I know that this is possible because the resurrection changed everything. When you begin to understand the miracle that happened and how that miracle applies to our lives, it can change, it can literally change your life. And this room is full of people who can testify to that truth in their own lives. So let's keep on reading. Uh, Verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. That's an interesting detail, isn't it? She sees Jesus. Mary sees the resurrected Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. Now, I want to ask you a question, and we're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. How many of you know for a fact that you're colorblind? Raise your hand. Oh, there's one. Okay. So we're probably pretty close to what statistics say. Um, Statistics tell us that one in 12 men are colorblind, and honestly, that probably explains why, or explains some of the outfits I see you guys wear. Um, So one in 12 men are colorblind. Interestingly enough, only one in 200 women are colorblind. Um, And there are different levels of colorblindness, some of which are more severe than others. You could even be mildly colorblind and not even know it. Uh, uh, Experts... um, believe that there are about that about 40% of the population has some degree of colorblindness and are completely unaware of it. So just for fun, I brought along some images that we can look at. They're, these are images that test for colorblindness, okay? And each image has a circle. It's a circle, and inside each circle is a number, okay? So if you can see the number, you're good. 
If you can't see the number, then you've got some degree of colorblindness, okay? So we might find some things out this morning. All right, Kim, go ahead and put the first one up. Can you all see that? 57, right? All right, next one. 74, you guys see it? 42, yeah. And the next one? 8. Okay, so everybody see it? Everybody, anybody not see them? Wow. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. So for all of you who, who aren't colorblind, I, want, I brought along some pictures, too, that show the difference, okay? Uh, this first picture is uh, balloons, and this is kind of what colorblind people see. And this is the, the next picture is what it actually looks like. See the difference? Um, and the next one? Colorblind people really struggle at the grocery store because this is what it really looks like. <laughs> it's quite a difference, isn't it? Um, but what's really cool is that researchers have developed um, these glasses that colorblind people can put on that correct the deficiency. And, and, and the colorblind is not really an accurate word. It's just like a color deficiency in your eyes, and they've created glasses now that you can put on and actually correct that deficiency. So um, have you guys seen any videos of that lately? Yeah, it's hitting social media. Go ahead and play it for those who haven't seen it. does not recognize Jesus. Have you ever thought about why that is? Why did Mary not recognize Jesus? I've read dozens of commentaries um, trying to figure out why Mary didn't recognize Jesus when she saw him. And there are just about as many opinions as to why as there are commentaries, right? And at the end of the day, it's all just speculation, right? Because the Bible doesn't tell us why. Um, But there's one theory that I think is probably the most plausible, and um, it is supported. Evidence from our own life sort of supports this theory. I think Mary didn't recognize Jesus for the exact same reason that many of us don't recognize Jesus in so many of our everyday moments. I think she wasn't looking for him. She didn't recognize Jesus because she wasn't looking 
for a living, breathing, walking, talking Jesus. She was looking for a Jesus that was in the tomb. She was looking for a dead Jesus, not a resurrected one. And she wasn't looking for a miracle. And I think part of the problem that so many of us have is that we live with sort of this spiritual colorblindness where everything is just kind of muted. That we don't live with the the vibrancy uh, that we've been called to live in um, because we're not looking for Jesus. We're not looking for him in our relationships. We're not looking for him in our workplace. And we're not looking for him in the midst of circumstances and the difficulties and problems we face. So we're just sort of, as a result, we're sort of spiritually colorblind. And the reason I think a lot of us suffer from this spiritual colorblindness is this. We fail to see Jesus because we look through filters that diminish what we see. Some of you suffer with spiritual colorblindness because you always look through the filter of guilt and shame. You you have a past. You did some things that that you're really embarrassed about and and you hurt some people you love and, and you just can't shake it. And so your whole life is seen through the filter of guilt and shame. For others of you, it's, it's fear. You see everything through the filter of fear, and your whole life is painted with what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if I never get married? What if, what if I lose my job? What if we never get out of debt? What if one of us gets seriously ill? You view everything through the filter of fear, and it creates this spiritual colorblindness. For others of you, it's your circumstances. And all you can see is your problems. You're blinded from seeing how truly blessed you are, and all you see is your problems. Vicki and I were sort of reminded of this tendency that we have in our entitled culture this week. We were going somewhere, and we were stuck in traffic that was a result of another major road that was shut down because of an accident. Um, and we were kind of complaining about the traffic, and then we're like, man, it really stinks that we're stuck in this traffic, sitting in this nice air-conditioned car with my favorite person, with good music to listen to, and we're not really in a hurry, and, and it just kind of we just kind of realized how stupid we were being. But it's true for a lot of us. All we see is our problems, right? You have car problems, and you have work problems, and you have school problems, you have spouse problems, you have kids problems, you have house problems, you have money problems, and it's just like overwhelming sometimes. And you can't see Jesus because all you're looking at is the problems. Your whole life is painted with problems, and you're blinded to the vibrant color of all the blessings God has just lavished on you. And then when these things happen... Because life just feels so gray and depressing, is that you find ways to numb yourself. You start to medicate. And so it's just one more drink, one more TV show to to escape, one more vacation on the credit card, one more trip to the shopping mall. Just whatever you have to do or eat or drink or accomplish to, to just so you don't have to think about the problems or the guilt or the shame or the fear of your life. But the message of Easter, 
the great news of the resurrection is that you don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live a mediocre life. You don't have to live spiritually colorblind. You don't have to live a life that is painted with guilt or shame or fear or, or all these what if and problems that you that we get consumed with because Jesus has invited you to live an abundant life. But this abundant life only happens when we be, really begin to understand the life that we've been called to live. And I don't think you can understand the life you've been called to live until you really understand the miracle of the resurrection and what it means for each and every one of us that Jesus is alive. So for the next few minutes, I just want to help you understand what the resurrection is really all about and how it applies to your life today. The first thing is this. The resurrection means there is forgiveness for your past. And some of you need that desperately. Some of you are so consumed with the fact that you've screwed up and it's robbing you of the life that Jesus died to give you. Maybe you screwed up royally as a parent. Or maybe you got an abortion. Maybe you damaged your integrity in some way. Maybe you damaged a relationship because you couldn't control your lustful desires. Maybe you handled your anger in a way that not only embarrassed you, but embarrassed people you know and love. Or maybe you're battling an addiction and it's just been totally humiliating for you. But listen to me. Nothing you have ever done is beyond God's ability to forgive. I want to say that again. Nothing you have ever done is beyond God's ability to forgive. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. Because he did that, he, he then rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin in your life and the penalty of sin for every single one of us. And I know that's hard to believe at times, but it's absolutely true. When Jesus was still here in his earthly ministry, he did and said things that got himself into a lot of trouble with the religious leaders. He claimed that he came to give us abundant life. He oftentimes forgave people. He would say, I forgive you. And then, and that would make the religious leaders mad. And then he would say why he had the authority to forgive. And that was because he was the son of God. Well, that made him even matter. And then he claimed that he was going to die for the sins of the world. And three days later, rise again. Well, it was those claims that eventually got him into trouble, got him arrested and crucified on the cross. But then the word of God tells us in Romans chapter 3, exactly what Jesus did for us in no uncertain terms. Romans 3, beginning with verse 19, says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith 
in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus never rose from the dead, would we be able to place our trust in him? No. Otherwise, he'd just be another dead guy, right? I mean, the, the, the Jewish people had been promised a Messiah for centuries, and there were several false messiahs who showed up and said, I'm the Messiah, but then they died, and that was it. You never heard of them again, right? Not true with Jesus, because he was the Messiah. And he made all these claims, right? If he made all these claims and just died, then those claims are worthless, right? It's the resurrection that, that gives credibility to every single one of his claims. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. Y'all, this is the best news you will ever hear. Right? This is this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel right here. Galatians 4 kind of sums it up this way. It tells us that the death and resurrection of Jesus made it possible for you to be adopted as God's very own children. Because of what Jesus did for you, when you place your faith in him, he brings you into his family. You're one of his children. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5 says this, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. My wife and I have um, three kids. And if you have kids, you know that a a very pivotal moment in, in your life and their life is when they start to walk. It's just, you know, one of those unforgettable moments you have as, an, as a parent to see your kid walk for the first time. And what's ironic, there's, there's no other moment that you celebrate so much as a parent, but then a few months later you absolutely regret, right? <laughs> but with each one of our kids, um, when I look back on the first steps that they took, um, you know, we just went crazy celebrating, right? 
you know, we clapped and we cheered and we laughed and we took video with our mini VHS video cameras that don't exist anymore. And if social media had existed, I'm sure we would have found a way to get them up there somehow. Um, and, and, and this, you know, went on for weeks, right? Because what started as one or two steps eventually became four or five steps. And then what for, was for a while four or five steps eventually became walking across the room, right? And so this, this just kept progressing. And each time they, they went a little farther, we just kept celebrating, right? And when I think back on those weeks when our kids were learning to walk, you know what I don't remember? I don't remember the falls. I know there were falls. There were, I'm sure there were a lot of falls, but I don't remember the falls. All I remember is the steps. I also remember that I was never frustrated with the falls, right? Like when, like, I was never frustrated that Nicole only took two steps, right? I, n- I never looked at my son um, and, and said, come on, dude, seriously, it's not that hard, right? I can walk, your mama can walk, your older sister can walk, let's get with the program here. Um, I never got frustrated with how long it took for them to learn how to walk. I just remember celebrating the steps. And even when they got older and they would fall down and hurt themselves, I never got frustrated either. Um, what I do as a dad, I would just put them on my lap, clean it up, you know, clean up the cut, put a Band-Aid on it, and send them back out. So I want to create a little image for you that some of you need desperately. Your heavenly father celebrates the steps and heals the falls. He, he loves watching you take steps in the freedom of his grace. And he never tires of picking you up and cleaning you off. And I know that's hard for some of you to believe. It's hard for me to believe as a pastor sometimes. I mean, sometimes I I feel like God would like a future version of me better than the version I have. That if I somehow clean myself up a little bit more, he would love me more, right? But nothing could be further from the truth. Scripture teaches very clearly that God could not love you any more or any less than he does at this very moment. And there aren't strings attached to his grace either. There's not a limit to how many times he's going to pick you up from the fall. The important thing is that we go to him after the fall. So there's no strings attached. The moment you attach strings to grace, it ceases to be grace, right? I can't live a perfect life. You can't live a perfect life. We can't even get close. But Jesus did live a perfect life. And his righteousness is credited to those who place their faith in him. When he went to the cross, he paid the debt for our sin that we could not pay. And so now this gift of salvation and grace and mercy is just made available to us freely. And all we have to do is accept it by faith. It's a free gift 
because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so I hope that today you'll know that because of the resurrection, there's forgiveness for your past, no matter who you are, and no matter what you've done. The other thing I want you to leave here with today is hope for your future. The resurrection means there is hope for your future. Later on in in John 20, we see what happens at the end of that day, uh, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. John 20, verse 19. says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So here they are. They're in a room behind locked doors. Why? Fear, right? They're afraid, right? And that's what fear does to us. Fear builds walls and establishes the boundaries of our lives. And, and, and in this case, it's literally a room that they have locked themselves into. Continuing on, suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. This is what Jesus does. Whatever walls you have built around you, whether you've built them, you know, whether it's a wall of fear, whether it's a wall of insecurity, whether it's a wall of guilt and shame, or even walls that we've built to sort of shield us from our problems, Whatever walls you've built in your life, Jesus can walk right through them and speak peace. No matter how much fear or turmoil is going on in your life, he can give you hope. Peter, one of the guys who was in that room that night, um, later writes this to believers everywhere. 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. That's the hope that every one of us have because Jesus rose again. The bottom line is this. Christ died for the redemption of our sins. He was buried in a tomb because he was dead. And three days later, God brought him back to life to give us life. He has given us a hope that can never be taken away. And knowing you have hope for the future changes everything today. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But I can tell you this. Jesus loves to bring life to the lifeless and hope to the hopeless. All you got to do is let him.
I want to pray for you. Go ahead and bow your heads and close.